Welcome to Canoe Creek Christian Church's podcast. Our mission is to help others connect with Christ, grow together, and go share Jesus with their world. We are located at 4080 Pine Tree Drive. Our services are Sunday morning at 8.30, 10 o'clock, and 11.30 a.m. You can also find our services online through Facebook and YouTube. Thanks for listening today. Our core scriptures for this morning and the opportunity to remind us what we've been doing in this series is talking about the fact that God desires to be present with us. Uh, That kind of blows my mind, uh, especially when I know who I am, what I've done, where I've been, and yet to see God consistently press in throughout all of history uh, to be present and desire to be among his people. And so we've been talking about that throughout this series, and we've been kind of exploring, you know, how does that work, and what does that mean for me, and how can I press into now, 2021, with an attitude of uh, trying to, to be present with God as I know that He desires to be present with me as well. Now, in those scriptures that were read for us, contextually, the, uh, they meant that Jesus would be with us in the flesh, that He would be present among us on this earth, which He was for a season of time. And it's not a, exactly as if we can go and have a face-to-face with Jesus. Uh, that, that season has passed, that time has passed, Uh, But there is still the possibility to have God present with us, and we're trying to to know how to have a greater faith, to know how he does that, to know how we can press into that as well. Um, I don't know if this legend is true, but it's an interesting legend of how a young Cherokee boy would become a Cherokee man. And each one of them, as they would go through this experience, they had to keep everything that they experienced to themselves Uh, Because for each young boy becoming a Cherokee man, they had to know what it was like in, in, in the moment and experience it bit by bit and piece by piece. Uh, But basically, the father would take his son out into the wilderness somewhere far away, blindfold him, and put him in a spot in the wilderness where he's completely alone. And basically, he had to stay there all night long with the blindfold on. And, you know, you can imagine how scary that must have been, not knowing what's going on and knowing that I'm all by myself. And I wasn't allowed to remove the blindfold until uh, the morning light finally, you know, broke through the forest and he could tell through the blindfold that it's it's now daylight. And whenever the Cherokee boy would remove his, his blindfold, he would realize that all through the night his father had been sitting right there with him. Uh, never alone, always present. And, and this is the reality of what God tells us through his word, that he is, he is present with us. And, and that's what we're celebrating in the season and being reminded of because it, it encourages us and gives us the opportunity to have a greater sense of faith. Think about what God has done and is declared for us in the Old Testament scriptures from Exodus 25. It says this, Then have them make a sanctuary for me. And God says, I will dwell among them. Number 35, uh, do not defile the land where you live and where I dwell, for I, the Lord, dwell among the Israelites. Zechariah 8, this is what the Lord says, I will return to Zion and dwell in Jerusalem. We know God's presence was with people in other cases, uh, situations, Exodus 3, where God appears before Moses, his presence with him there. Elijah 19, or uh, 1 Kings 19, where God's presence makes itself known before Elijah as well. And then God's presence is seen in 
physical ways in the Old Testament too, through light and clouds and smoke and fire. Think about Exodus 24. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. You know, we read about the many ways, and there's so many more uh, ways in which God manifests himself. He's present among his people, which basically reminds us of the truth that he tells us. He wants to be present with us. He wants us to live in such a way that we're present with him. And as we turn the page from the Old Testament into the New Testament as well, we receive the hope of the gospel. And this hope is, is that God's spirit dwells with us. And God's Spirit is preparing us so that we can be present with the perfect and full glory and presence of God in eternity as well. Now, until then, God's presence in our life is clouded, it's complex, it's difficult. Uh, there's an enemy in our world who uh, makes it harder for us to experience and understand the presence of God with us. He's not only our enemy, but he's God's enemy as well. So think about a couple of things. Adam and Eve, when they fell from God's grace because they put their faith and trust in what Satan said versus keeping their faith in what God had said, they're escorted out of the garden and they're banned from going back into the garden ever. For what we may know, this may have been the only time on this earth that the full presence of God's glory was experienced by anyone in that garden. And, and I would imagine, this is how I think sometimes, I could imagine Adam and Eve passing by where the entrance to that garden is and stopping and pausing and longing. Can I go back in there? I wish I could go back in there. wish I could have that back. We have all these examples from the Old Testament even into the New Testament, how God has graciously desired, maintained, and even established a plan in which we can be present with him. And as I said, outside of the garden, we, I don't know if we know of anywhere where the fully glorified presence of God has been made known. There is one time where Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up onto a mountain. Uh, this is called uh, the transfiguration where Jesus is glorified in front of them. Uh, Moses and Elijah shows up, so you know it's got to be pretty eventful. I mean, when dead people start showing up, there's something big going on and happening right there. Um, and, but I, don't, I still don't know. I don't know if Peter and James and John could have actually seen God completely glorified, Jesus completely glorified, and, and been able to manage that. Because we have some amazing stories that take place where, the, where when the glory of God shows up, people freak out. And think about how the temple veil is torn. When Jesus died, the temple veil is torn from top to bottom. You've got to keep in mind that the Holy of Holies in the temple is the place where the presence of God supposedly dwelled among the people. And so for that veil to be torn, it means it was God, once again, working all throughout history to open up a pathway to his presence so that he could be present with us, we could be present with him. And then I recall this one verse from the New Testament where God is alluding to the issue of his truth and perfect presence being clouded or veiled within the world in which we live. Look at what 1 Corinthians 13 says. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. So here's the point. God has always desired to be present with you. Always desired to be present with his people. 
And, and I think in our fragile state, in our state in which we live in this world, which is broken, our bodies are sinful, I think for God's full glory to make itself present to us, it, it would be destructive. I don't think that we can manage that and handle that. Here's why, a couple things. Remember when Isaiah has a vision of the throne room of heaven, he sees into the throne room of God, and he sees God in all of his glory, obviously. He says two words, I'm ruined. He says two words, I'm ruined. I think for us, knowing how sinful we are, knowing how we're not worthy of God's presence, when we see that, that that's our natural response. I'm ruined. I'm finished. And if you remember that story, that incident, um, an angel grabs a hot coal from this fire and places it on the lips of Isaiah. And, and it's a symbolic gesture to say God is coming to cleanse everybody so that he can bring them into his presence. And, and it was after that that Isaiah said, hey, listen, I'll go do whatever you want me to do, God. Think about Paul. He sees in a vision in some form or fashion the glorified Jesus uh, years after his resurrection and ascension. And he goes blind because of it. It wasn't until Ananias comes along and prays for him that these scale-like things fall off his eyes. And some believe that Paul's physical ailments that he talks about from that time forward has to do with limited sight as a result of seeing glorified Jesus. John, who is one of the apostles, writes one of the four Gospels. He's the close friend of Jesus. In fact, if you read John's Gospel, he never refers to himself as John. He always refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. I mean, it's a little bit, you know, uh, a little bit, you know, putting yourself in a, in, a, in a good light there, like, I'm best friends with Jesus, right? But then when we see John receive the revelation that is written and recorded for us as the book Revelation, when he sees Jesus glorified, it's not like he's saying, hey, what's up, homeboy? You know, like we're friends or something. He falls flat on his face in front of the glorified presence of Jesus. So I, I think when this, the glory of God is made known in its perfect and full capacity, I don't think that we can manage it. So in many ways, the fact that God doesn't show up like that right now for us personally, it, it is in, in a sense to kind of protect us. Uh, but he does show up and he does desire to be present in our life. And, and how God desires to be present in our life is through his spirit, through his word, through his community of believers who place their faith in what he has said and what he's going to do and what he's promised us. I want to focus most of our time on the fact that he is present in our lives through his spirit. I realize that this isn't an easy thing. I struggle. There's times when I'm like, the Spirit of God is dwelling in me, living in me. I just don't get it. I don't see it. I don't feel it. Is it real? Is it true? But that's where faith kicks in. We, we look at what God has promised. We look at what God has done all throughout time. He's always come through on whatever he has said. And he himself said that he promised the Spirit would come, dwell in us, convict us of sin and righteousness, lead us to trust and follow God, help us learn how to live with the presence of God in our lives so that we glorify God and how we live and what we do. I believe that in faith. It's that step that we have to take. It's that we have to trust what his word says. And it's not always easy. It, it's sometimes a little bit crazy, right? But that's where faith steps in and encourages us to follow him. Listen to what he says about his spirit through his word. Paul wrote this letter 
called the Ephesians letter to the church in Ephesus. And it's amazing. Look at what shows up all throughout this letter. It's the, it's the presence of the Spirit in the life of those who place their faith and trust in God. In chapter 1, verse 13, it says this, When we hear and believe the message of truth, we are marked with the seal of His Spirit. It's not when I feel and experience God standing around me that I'm marked with the seal of the Holy Spirit. It says, in that scripture, it says, when we hear the word of truth, when we put our faith in the word of truth, that we receive the seal of God's spirit in our life. Chapter 2, it goes on to say that we have access to the Father through the same spirit. That is, the presence of God in our life is made possible through the spirit of God. In chapter three, it goes on to say, we are strengthened and empowered through the presence of his spirit in our life. Chapter four, verse 30 says, we're, we're told to not grieve the Holy Spirit in our life. Chapter five, verse 18 says, we're told to not be drunk on wine, to be, be filled with the spirit. And then chapter 6, it goes on to say that we're told to pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Now here's the thing. When these letters were written, they didn't have chapter divisions. That's something that came later on. Smart people who divide them up find natural transitions in the letter when the person writing it, moved by the Spirit of God, wrote it, and just kind of throw chapters in there. But the point is this, is as you read this letter written to this church in Ephesus many years ago, which is still perfectly relevant for us today, you see how the Spirit of God is showing up in the life of those who are faithful in such a way to make God present in their life to bring about radical change, transformation, and faith in the life of a believer. And, and it's a powerful recognition. If you read that letter, it'll take you like 20 minutes to sit down and read all the way through chapter 1 through chapter 6. Look at how the Spirit of God shows up. And I just want to highlight one of those. In chapter 5, it says this, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit of God. Here's what I, I want us to, to think about really quick. Timothy Keller said something I thought was a great statement on this verse. And he said this, Drunkenness is not a function of how much alcohol is in you. Drunkenness is a function of how much alcohol has you. Very great statement. Very important statement, I think, because here's what it's about. It's about control. People who believe drinking makes them happier are buying into an illusion that they can change reality. We know what happens when we drink. It depresses the brain, which motivates us to change what reality is, but the reality is it's not changing. It's only changing in our mind for a moment, giving us the idea that we can actually control our circumstances and surrounding. It's about control. Now listen, here's the thing. I'm not talking about drinking or drunkenness. It may appear that way for a, for a moment. It may be helpful to you. I'm not sure. I'm talking about the idea of allowing the presence of God into our life through the Spirit of God to ultimately control how we think, how we live, how we act. Uh, listen, Paul brings this up as an illustration, as a comparison. It is like that, and it's not like that. Let me put it to you this way, how it is like that. Uh, drunkenness and the Spirit are the same in this way. The Spirit comes into our lives to take over. 
Submission to God is releasing our lives one day at a time, one thought at a time, one action at a time, one heartstring at a time, so that what we want gets pushed aside, so that what God would desire and want becomes our plan. Now, how they're radically different, though, is that in this way, the Spirit of God is not a liquid. He's not some sort of substance like gold dust in the air or cloud and floating around. The Spirit of God is referenced in the Word of God as a person of God. Uh, If he were to manifest himself in in a way like Jesus did, he, he could do it because he's not something or some it. He is the person of God making his dwelling with the people of God who place their faith in God, and this is so important for us to keep in mind because I hear people talk in terms of like being a little low on the spirit, like we're engines or something, and we've got four quarts of oil that we need to, to operate, or five quarts of oil, you know. And it's like I'm a I'm a quart low today, so I just need to pray a little bit more or read a little bit more scripture. The spirit of God doesn't work like that. He's not like in us in parts and pieces. He's either with us or not with us. He's either in us or not in us. And and it's determined based on whether or not we're placing our faith in God and trusting that God gives us his presence in this very unique and special way. Let me me try and illustrate it this way. Maybe this will help make sense. I've been married for over 25 years, and in those 25 years that I've been married, um, there's never been a day or a moment or a decision where the thought of my wife did not come into my decision or come into my actions. And, And if I did have a decision or if I did have an action, without my wife in mind, it had the potential of grieving my wife. And and if she expressed that grief to me, then I'd recognize my foolishness in what I did or my decisions or my actions, and I would repent and change my mind and change my decision and and try not to to do that again. it's, It's a partially a good illustration to help us get this idea, but it's partially not a good illustration because none of us should be controlled by our spouse. I submit to my wife as she submits to me sometimes, and in that way we glorify God in our relationship. But all of us, in terms of trusting God and placing our faith in God, are learning how to every day submit to the presence of God dwelling in me because I know that whatever it is that he would desire is better than what I would desire. Whatever it is that I will do as a result of trusting him will glorify him and be greater than what I would do if I did it on my own. And here's the, here's, this is so important. It is not for the sake of trying to be perfect little people. Being perfect little people is out the window a long time ago. And I think that the church has made it extremely difficult for people who are trying to turn to God and trust him because we we create this nice little perfect little mold and say if you can fit into this, then you can follow and you can fit in and, and belong. And God has no illusions or desires of making perfect little people. We are made perfect by Christ. We are made holy by the presence of God in us, not because now I'm some perfect little person of holiness coming out of me of anything that I've done. And so it's not about making us perfect. It's about teaching us day in and day out how to live 
present with God in that moment, in that day. And here's why. God gives us sunrises and sunsets in the creation. He gives us days and cycles of seven. We, we make months out of that. We have years as a result of that. He gives us sabbatical rhythms within his word of every seven years and 14 years to do certain things within the land. Why? Because he knows each and every one of us need every day to be refreshed and reminded. I may have not done so great at living with the presence of God yesterday, but today the sun rose on me. And I have the opportunity to live in the presence of God in this moment today in such a way that would glorify him and encourage that presence around me. Listen to what Jesus said regarding the Spirit of God in John 16, 14. He will glorify me, Jesus said, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. This is what the Spirit wants to do above all things. Probably one of the reasons why we've never seen the Spirit of God and God's Word manifested as a, as a person present before people in various ways is because the Spirit likes a backseat role. He likes to highlight and glorify the Father and the Son. And he's like a spotlight in that way. Think about a very dark night, right? And you're looking ahead. There's a, a building up ahead or a street up ahead or whatever it is, and you need to see something. Well, if you look and there's a spotlight, you can look dead at that spotlight, and you can't see the spotlight. You can't see details. You can't make it out. You can just see this bright glow of light, right, that's blinding you if you look straight at it. But what it is doing is it's flooding light on the building, it's flooding light on the street. What is it doing? It's casting light on what it wants you to see. And this is what the Spirit of God does in our life. This is why Jesus said, he's going to take from me, reveal it to you, so that you can know more uh, fully who God is, who I am, and how to trust in our presence in your life. And so the Spirit of God wants to talk about uh, the Son of God. He just wants to cast light on his truth his beauty, his power, his compassion, his love, and more. And the Spirit of God will, will do the exact opposite of what drunkenness does. Drunkenness depresses our mind to give us a sense that we can control reality around us and make it different. We're not really doing that. The Spirit of God actually heightens our senses and helps us see even the most finite details of the reality around us. And I realize that this can be difficult because there's some depressing things that go on around us in our world. But in addition to that, the Spirit of God also brings our heightened senses to the amazing hope of God in this world and reminds us of something that seems to be lost more year after year within the church and our culture, and that is a worldview that is biblical, a worldview that reminds us that every single one of us that put our faith in God, we are essentially walking in eternity right in this moment. We may be doing it in a world that's failed and falling and broken in a body that's going to give up and give out, but just because my body gives up and gives out or this world gives up and gives out when Jesus returns, neither one of them matter. What matters is, is I'm already living with the presence of God in me. I'm going to get to go out of this imperfect state into the perfect one in which I will see the fully glorified presence of God, and there was no less days to sing his praise in that place. Yeah. And this is what the presence of God in us is encouraging us to remember and be encouraged to live like that right now. And so he heightens our awareness, he strengthens us, he awakens us, he prepares us daily to live in the presence of God. And so the question is, what do I do? 
Well, the scriptures are clear. The scriptures tell us to believe in God's word. You know, making that decision to believe in God's word, it is a one-time act and an ongoing act. Uh, people who believe in God's word to accept Jesus Christ are making a decision, but that doesn't mean that tomorrow you're going to open up his word and look at something and go, oh, I believe that too. I mean, it's a struggle, but it's a good struggle. It's a healthy struggle. It's, it's what God is calling us to do in a world that is veiled and clouded by our enemy, Satan, to each and every day press into something to know God more fully and to trust in him and to believe him more fully. The scriptures tell us to confess. You know, confession isn't just that I I say before somebody, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Confession in the scriptures have this idea of this ongoing attitude that every day I live in such a way that my actions and my attitude confess that I'm believing in a God who is going to be fully glorified in my presence one day. And the scriptures tell us to repent, which is a biblical word that basically means with knowledge, with understanding. That is, every day I open up the scriptures and I see something I'm struggling to believe and start adhering it more to my life. Is Now that I understand and know God a little bit more fully today, it's influencing what I'll say today, how I'll live today. This is what the idea of repentance is. The scriptures tell us to be united with the Father, Son, and Spirit in baptism. This is the last thing that Jesus says to us. His last words are our first priority. He tells the church, not individuals who are far from God needing to accept Christ as their Lord and Savior. He tells those of us who are believers to go out and baptize the nations in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything that Christ has commanded us. And Paul goes on to tell us in Colossians' letter and the Romans' letter to unite our lives with Christ, with the Father, with the Son, with the Spirit in baptism. And then we're told to be faithful. Show up every day. Show up in such a way to God's Word every day. Show up in such a way to God's community every day. Show up in every situation, every opportune moment for the Spirit of God in us to shine through us and give us the opportunity to glorify God in that moment in our life. And what we say and what we do, God is present with us in that way. Be faithful by placing the Word of God in your heart often. Be faithful uh, by being alone with God in prayer often. Be faithful by being in community with God's people often. This is the opportunity that we have each and every day to live present with God as he desires to live present with us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We ask that you would just encourage us and strengthen us to to trust what you say to us, uh, to trust scriptures about the presence of your spirit dwelling in us when we accept what is true about your word, when we accept the gospel, when we accept your plan and what you have done and what you're doing and what you prepare to do. Lord, we know that it's hard to always believe those things that we can't see fully. Uh, But Lord, we ask that you would continue to encourage us through your church all throughout the globe. As your word is preached, as your gospel is presented, we pray that it would stir our hearts and that your word would do what no individual can do, what no fancy illustrations can do, that your word would move in the hearts of people to Help them see you as the glorified God who sent his son that we celebrated time of Christmas and was crucified on the cross at the time of Easter, resurrected to new life, and has promised to prepare a place for us. And Father, 
we look forward to being in that place where your presence will be perfectly glorified in every way. Lord, help us to to learn to live with you present in our life every day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.